This show was made at Access Radio Taranaki with help from New Zealand On Air. To find more local content, go to our website, accessradiotaranaki.com. Good morning, New Zealand. Welcome to another roundup of Neville Rides the Boundaries coming to you from Access Radio Taranaki, Coast Access Radio, Radio Hawke's Bay, our Radio Masterton, and I'm Neville Wallace broadcasting from Hara, Cyclone Gabrielle. I've just had a quick conversation with Dr Jacqueline Rath, who farms at Tirao. Power has been out all night and no internet. And the big question is, milk is unlikely to be collected due to many roads being blocked by fallen trees. On the show this week I have Katie Allen who is a member of the Areti Community Board Southland District Council. Katie, who originally came from East Germany, penned a letter to the Rural News about having your say on local government reforms and to do it before the end of the month. Stuart Davison from GDT gives us an opinion as to why there was an unexpected rise in the price of whole milk powder, butter and cheddar. Philip Duncan from Weatherwatch is along with an update on Cyclone Gabrielle. And to close the show, Mike Cause is along to tell us more about the fossil fuel extravaganza to be held on the 4th, 5th of March at 172 Turatura Road, Hara. So let's get started and listen to Katie Allen's interesting story. Well, my first guest this morning is Katie Allen who is a member of the Areti Community Board Southland District Council, who wrote an excellent article for the farming periodical Rural News. It was titled, Have Your Say on Local Government Reforms, and Katie is with me to share her concerns with me. Good morning, Katie, and happy Valentine's Day. (laughs) Good morning, Neville. How are you? Oh, I'm fine, under, under the circumstances. Now... Could you, let's start by you telling us a little about yourself and when I looked at dates I think that your article might have been written before I didn't step down, was it? It was, yes, definitely, yeah. Um, so I refer back to the Ardern government, but um, well, the government is not made out of one person, um, Ardern, and she had all her ministers who supported um this agenda, including the now Prime Minister Hepkin, so um, it's still very current and, and valid by article, I believe. And what were some of the reforms that you object to? Um, by looking at this report, which is 261 pages long, um, there are, somebody counted the words, and there were 564 times the word Maori, and only 159 times the word democracy. So this tells you already in which direction this goes. Um, if you read the certain parts of this report or the recommendation, you'll think, oh, yeah, that's a good thought. Oh, yeah, there needs to be something done. But if you look behind where this is coming from and where they're aiming for, then it is very, very alarming. And it would mean the end of our democracy, I believe. Because um, if you provide or give privileges and rights to people based on race, it is not a democracy anymore. So a, a democracy means, you know, it's powered by the people, and the supreme power is in this the people. And 
Um, yeah, they, they want to demolish it um, from um, uh, appointing unelected members to council, um, to uh, train council staff and elected members in the uh, Treaty of Otengi and in, also in the language, the Maori language. And um, this sounds all for me such an indoctrination. Um, and for me, the, the red alarm flags really flopping up here because I grew up in a communist country in East Germany and um, I know what it means to be brainwashed and manipulated and indoctrinated and this is exactly what they are pushing and aiming for it is all centralization um, of our local government which means that locals will actually lose um, their power and even if you look at the report, it's all packed nicely. It's all about democracy and, and enabling people, but it's not. It's, it's just a, a scam, in my opinion. Katie, could you give the listeners some idea of what you had to put up with under communist rule? Oh, well, um, I wanted to study, and I've been told, yes, you're a really good student, you can study. But um, you have to become a, uh, a member of the Communist Party. Um, a, a saying my, is still in, in, in my mind, but my parents always say, don't tell anyone, don't tell anyone, because we had the, the Stasi, the secret police, so duping in your neighbor for being naughty, and everyone had a secret file about people. Uh, my parents had a file, I had a file. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and 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 Miss Adrian said, um, don't talk to your neighbour and report. We want to hear who's uh, um, misbehaving. That so reminded me um, of um, yeah the communist regime I had to grow up in. And and um, some people say, oh, you must have missed not having bananas. <laughs> and I said, no, I didn't because. You don't, you can't miss what you don't know. So for me, it was normal growing up with bananas and oranges. Um, but that's how isolated we were, how they cut out free speech completely. We had no uh, connection to the outside world. So, and that's another point what, you know, is coming here, the free speech, um, that you're not even allowed to raise opinions if you say something about, no, this, all this Maori birds and, taking over about what's going on here and you're quickly labeled as a racist or uh, they, they pulled out the guilt trip part, um, what's all been done to, to the Maoris. I, I do not uh, deny that injustice things have happened to the Maoris, but uh, we live now here and now in the present and our nation and as a New Zealand citizen now, I'm, I'm part of that. We are all mixed. My husband is Scottish. I got British and Irish neighbors. I got uh, Filipinos um, next door. You know, we, we are all um, intermingled with each, each other. Why do we need to go back into these old-fashioned beliefs? I think it's such a step back backwards instead of uh, living peaceful with each other. This, this proposed report, if that uh, goes into uh, legislation, there will be such a step backward and will be yeah, the end of democracy. Now, Katie, you wrote that article. Have you had any feedback 
on that subject? Oh yeah, I got a lot of um, yeah positive feedback. Um, Can you share some of that with the listeners, please? We've got about three minutes left. Yeah, um, I had a beautiful letter from Bruce. I tried to get hold of him, but I, I just read it out to him. I hope he he, he doesn't mind. Bruce, um, greetings to you, somewhere up in Waikato, Bay of Plenty. He wrote to me, when the mosque massacre occurred, Jacinda said, we are one people, clearly a democracy. When Maori first arrived in New Zealand, they were one people. Then as time progressed, they divided into separate tribes. Unity was lost. Then they start killing one another. The same pattern has occurred right throughout Europe. For centuries, division brings conflict. Unity builds strength. Our successive governments have orchestrated a political time bomb. We are now witnessing governments giving unelected Maori privileged positions. This is not democracy. Buying votes is not a way to be a politician. That's corruption. Our soldiers fought and died fighting for our democratic principles. We are now faced with two choices. One, go with a Maori activist-focused dictatorship, or two, fight for our democracy. The abortion choices could have caused a civil war in New Zealand. The South African football issue could have escalated to a civil war as well. Potential time bombs. This systematic corrosion of our democracy that we are now witnessing could lead to a civil war in New Zealand. The question you may ask is, what can I do? The answer is simple, more than you share. Write to your politicians and councils. Make your view count. Support the men who died fighting for our democratic rights. The pen is mightier than the sword. Then we stand at the standard path on Anzac Day with a clear conscience. Anything less would mean those soldiers wasted their lives. And then he asked um, for a referendum. Yeah, that was quite moving. Yeah, certainly. Especially was. With, with my German background, and um, you know, listen to the Anzac uh, soldiers who died um, for democracy, and yeah, it's, it's yeah quite moving. Thank you, Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Katie Allen, for fronting up to pursue your goals, and I wish you all the best for the future and go well, my friend. And uh, folks, just get out there and make a submission before the end of the month on this bill that uh, Katie's referring to. That's right. You just uh, uh, search on the internet, uh, Future for Local Government, and then you will find a submission page. That would be great if you can help. Thank you so much. Now, here's a young man with good news for the New Zealand dairy farmer. Dairy prices have increased at the last dairy auction, so listen to Stu Davison explain. Well, good afternoon, Stuart Davison. You are Dairy Insight Managers for the GDT. Would you like to explain to the listeners your role in the dairy industry, just to give listeners an overall view of how we handle things? Yeah, not a problem. Yes, yeah, so I'm Stuart Davison, Dairy Insights Manager with NZX. Uh, my role is to, uh, in, in fundamental, is to take a, a view of the global dairy um, industry from New Zealand's milk production to price through to commodity prices in the global market, along with how each major exporter and uh, consumer or importer of dairy products around the world is operating. Um, very similar to an economist, sorry. 
and um, you know build all my views and fundamental outlooks and, and use models and whatnot to um, have a view and an opinion on where the market is going in the future and what's happening right now within the market. And we provide um, reports to the to the wider global deer industry on our daily, weekly, and monthly format. Um, and we're we're registered across the world, so a really privileged position. And um, you know, my, my background as a farmer really helps me communicate uh, to the world what New Zealand's doing in terms of um, you know pasture production, what that means for milk production, and, and what our what our farmers are thinking and feeling. As a key exporter of dairy globally, you know New Zealand's a really big player in the world of dairy, and it's really important that um, you know, we tell the market what's going on so they can make informed decisions around buying, trading, both physical and financial products, and you know in the realms of dairy. Listening to a, f- a few other what would we say dairy analysis, uh, one I listen to quite often at midday, but I won't mention the name or get into trouble, but. Uh, <laughs> The price has taken a turn for the better, hasn't it, Stuart? Would you like to explain to the listeners your view as to why it's lifted? Yeah, definitely. So we've seen uh, the GDT index move 3.2% higher last night in the the fortnightly auction. So the first auction for February um, and the first sort of auction without a lot of the world and sort of a holiday period. So early in January, obviously, a lot of Kiwis were on holiday, much of the Western world. And in late January, the Lunar New Year was uh, happening in Asia, you know, China and Southeast Asia. So we had a, had a month of, you know, pretty quiet period. Come to February, the first auction we've just had, and, you know, the world was alive again. And we saw a very large participation from Chinese buyers, um, you know, turning up to the market and really demanding um, homework powder, butter, and uh, to a less effect, skim milk powder but really helping the market push along. So this has been a demand-driven event. Prices increase when there's enough demand on this auction platform. Um, and what it tells us in, in the simplest form is that um, dairy as a commodity is, is in demand again, and prices both locally and globally are, are going to keep moving higher, hopefully. Hopefully. Now, would you like to explain to the listeners just how the auction's conducted because I'm familiar with auctions of old where cockies sent their stock to town they were auctioned in a what would you say a communal atmosphere and uh, you saw a buyer from over there he was from a meat company and there was another one from somewhere else and you knew there was going to be good prices so how does that sort of thoughts line up with an international yeah definitely not as not as much fun as standing on the rails in the, in the no. stockyards but a close second. So the way the GDT auction works is there are accredited and um, proven buyers dictated by Fonterra, um, and they're spread around the world. So the, the bulk of the buyers come from China or North Asia is the region, and it's all electronic. So everyone sits and, you know, they're all in their own offices in their own country, but they must be signed into the GDT platform to participate. Each round, um, each buyer must uh, slot in how many tonnes of vol- you know, the volume they desire, and at what price they're willing to pay for that volume. And so the, the price moves up from a starting point. So in the first round, everyone puts in the volume they want. There might be up to four times or five times the volume desired then is offered, and that means that the next round is jacked higher. So the price moves up, and everyone has another chance to decide if they want the same amount of volume or less volume. And so that continues through the rounds as volume decreases, as price moves up, until an equilibrium is found where the volume desired by the market and the price point is in equilibrium, and that settles the auction. So long story, or the, in summary, or the simplest way to see it is 
if you want the volume you're after, you're willing to pay more and more for it. So the auction figures out, in a really um, simple yet elaborate term, the level of demand in the market and also make sure that the people that are willing to pay the best price get that volume of um, goods, be it cheddar, butter or homework powder at the, end of the vo- at the end of each auction. Because I was just going to say, Stuart, uh, when it comes to markets like this, I was sort of thinking, going back to my days of the local auctions, when there was a lot of grass around, buyers would pay more, and when there was none, no grass, they would pay less. How do you determine how much uh, product goes up? Yeah, so that's a tough one. So Fonterra determines, um, and it's the key seller on GDT, determines how much offer volume goes on. But very similar to um, buying kettle, it's actually somewhat determined by how much supply there is too, and then the demand for um, products off the GDT platform too. So if we're having a poor season, we'll often, in terms of grass growth and subsequent milk milk production, we'll see Fonterra pull some volumes off the GDT platform and try and sell or, or have demand for them elsewhere. And so the same thing, it is a supply-driven as well. It's also demand-driven as well. If, if um, for example, a large Chinese um, buyer comes to Fonterra and says, I want to buy a large volume of homework powder for this year, and that then needs uh, requires that some volume needs to be removed from GDT, that will also be the case too. So the volumes offered are variable, but also seasonal by our milk curve as well. So obviously, um, you know, milk peaks in October, November, December yeah, in New Zealand, yeah. and that, that's when we have the biggest demand for, for processing. A lot of that goes in homework powder, and a lot of that appears on the GDT platform as well. Oh, well, very well done. That's a good uh, example of what's going on today for the urban listeners that listen to a rural radio program. Thank you, Stuart Davidson. Much appreciated. Anytime. Thanks for having me on. Let's listen to Philip Duncan explain that we have another cyclone, Gabrielle, on the way to New Zealand, which will cause more flooding and possibly a little bit of grief. Well, good morning, Philip Duncan. On yesterday's YouTube, you're predicting another storm. Has it been born yet and has it been christened? It has been, and um, you know, by the time this goes to air, the uh, the storm should have uh, been well should should be currently over the country and starting to move away. So it's been called Cyclone Gabriel, uh, named by the Australian weather forecasters on Wednesday of last week. Um, and the storm has, uh, you know, is tracking out of the Coral Sea and straight into the North Island. There's also blocking high pressure out to our east, and that's part of the problem because it, it's, it slows down these systems and can sort of push them further into land. So it's a, it's a really very serious situation. I'm hoping um, that it will move through faster than at the time when I'm talking to you now. It's looking uh, uh, pretty bad, but hopefully it does move through. The good news is that afterwards uh, we do have some high pressure, and that's a sign of things starting to calm down, settle back down again. Right, so it's on its way. Uh, what sort of uh, weather are we going to expect? Because I don't think we're going to get any cold southerlies for a while, are we? No. Um, I mean, once this passes through, it's probably around sort of tomorrow. As we go into Thursday and Friday, we do expect some high pressure to move in. And as that high comes in behind the low, it'll bring in a bit of a southerly. But then the low itself is also going to bring down all that tropical air with it. So it's going to be pretty humid 
Facial eczema is going to be an issue for some livestock. I already hear that um, flies have been a very uh, major problem for, for those with sheep. So uh, it's, it's going to get more humid before it eases. But hopefully as we go into the weekend, we will see a bit of a break and things returning back to normal again um, and what's proving to be a very, very turbulent, chaotic summer uh, for the North Island. The South Island getting brushed by it, but they've been far more protected and, in fact, the lower South Island, Otago and Southland and South Canterbury, looking very, very dry still. Only Some areas only getting a few millimetres over the next two weeks. So, so quite a different story to the North Island. Yeah, you just mentioned two things there, Philip. You should expand slightly more on them. Facial eczema affects uh, cattle and sheep. And fly strike is another one too, which is quite bad. Where is that happening at the moment? Yeah, well, I'm hearing fly strike being a problem already in Taranaki. In fact, I, I was speaking to a reporter um, from Farmers Weekly from AgriHQ, uh, Haley and uh, Driscoll, and she was telling me that you know they'd lost a, a sheep the other day from it, and uh, it's, it's been a real problem for them on their farm. It's, uh, she said it, they were, were slow off the mark, like she admitted that they weren't quite prepared for the explosion of flies, but I'd say a lot of people weren't. You know, we the, the rain that we got just a week or two ago around Auckland anniversary weekend at the end of January, that was the reason uh, that, you know, the heat and the humidity is the reason why we're seeing just this explosion of insects across the North Island. So we're going to be seeing more of that. And then, of course, the areas that have been very dry and have had some rain, that's the highest risk for facial eczema. That's where you have dead grass, kind of rotting in the in the humid, warm weather. And so that's the highest risk for the facial eczema. So if you've had dry dry grass and now it's been raining on it, you're at that high risk uh, for facial eczema. If your grass was really green and wet and growing well before all the rain came in, probably not so much of a problem for you. But uh, it, it's, a, it's a, going to be a more widespread issue across the North Island over the next couple of months. And the other issue is, is there going to be more lambs coming from the South Island to the North Island to finish them off? Because they won't finish them off either, will they? Yeah, well, I mean, that's certainly possible. It is very, very dry around the south, but then this cyclone's going to be bringing in rain to the South Island. We might even be seeing facial eczema problems in the south a bit oh, more uh, than we normally would. Oh, well done. Thank you, Philip Duncan, and we'll catch up with you next week. To finish the show today, we hear more intriguing news of an ancient motor that Mike Coyle's found at a friend's shed's clearing sale day. The weather cyclones ravishing New Zealand took precedence, but let's get back to Mike Coyles. I'll, um, I've got a very unusual engine. I'll tell you about that first, and then we'll come back to the other stuff. It's called a hot air engine. Right. Now, they're, um, I've actually heard of them, and I've read about them. Sterling made them. They were the common makers of them. Uh, but they're very rare today. They came out about the 1850 period, and they went to about 1915, which is roughly a 60, 65-year period. But they were superseded by the arrival of the petrol and the kerosene engines. They started arriving, of course, after the 1900s. So the hot air engines went out. Now, for those, most people would know the Butler brothers that used to cut hedges around the, uh, well, anywhere from Inglewood, uh, coming south to Hara Waverley area. Uh, I, I went to the, both the gentlemen have passed on now, and they recently, uh, well, the nephews did, they had a sale there. And I saw this engine there, and I was quite intrigued by it, but I didn't know what it was at the time. Anyway, I purchased it and bought it home and took it to the workshop and stripped it down. 
I still wasn't sure what it was when I stripped it down. It doesn't like an ordinary engine. It doesn't have a spark plug or a magneto. It doesn't even have a carburetor. So then I started thinking, well, maybe it's not an engine. Maybe it's a, um, a compressor, perhaps, for blowing up car tires or something. Or, or maybe it's an early milk, uh, vacuum pump for a milking machine. Anyway, while I was cleaning it up and working on it, I found the name Robinson written across the front. So, of course, we go to Dr. Google today, and Dr. Google tells us that, that it was a hot air engine. And although it's got about a four-and-a-half-inch diameter piston and a similarly stroke on the piston, it only develops one-and-a-half horsepower. But, hey, with just a little bit of flame underneath, you'd think, how on earth can a, a bit of heat or flame make a piston move? Well, the hot air pushes the piston down, and then there's a water tank there, and it gets the end of the stroke, and the cold air brings it back. So it's push-pull, push-pull. And, of course, this is connected to a conrod, and the conrod in turn is connected to a flywheel. And the flywheel, being on an axle, it spins around and gives a bit of momentum. And, of course, there's a little three- or four-inch pulley there, and you can drive whatever you can up to about one-and-a-half horsepower. So it's very unusual, but that will be there. Mm. Now, just coming back to the, uh, like you say, uh, I've got a lot of different stuff uh, that I display and talk about. I hold them up and get you fellas, get to this smoke coming out to you, you know, tease you and see if you can guess what it is. And there's all sorts of little things like stuff the women would have used in the house, for example, a pie funnel, uh, making a pie breathe or letting the pie breathe, talk about and, you know, become interested in perhaps even joining the club. Who knows? Yeah, how do they go about joining your club if they would like to, Mike, before, because not everybody's got tractors, but I've got a few old bits of gear myself that I'm sort of thinking, what do I do when I croak? Yeah, well, in the meantime, you join our club and you bring it to these show days. But, yes, no, there's a, a lot of interesting stuff. We still find in sheets, you know, people say, oh, it's not much to find now, but there is. Um, you know, vintage engines are still popping out of the blue. Well, like I said, this hot air one, it was totally unexpected, and it's the only known one in the area. Um, yeah, it's sort of quite unique. Never been one of any of the shows. I've been going to the shows for the last 20 years, and I've never ever seen one of any of the shows. Mm. But we'll have that down there for the folk to look at this year. Well, well, it sounds like it'll be very unique, and I hope you've got insurance on it. <laughs> well, we do have insurance if things go astray. Uh, you know, so the people could be quite safe to come and know that they won't be um, run over by a vintage tractor, or if they do, they can, yeah, there'll be insurance cover there for them to end them up and get them going again. But no, we don't run over people. We look after them very well, actually. We've got good safety in place. Yeah. Now, Mike, we're running out of time, but would you just like to remind people where and when the fossil fuel extravaganza will be held? Yes. So, okay, folks, it's in Hawara. Anybody that knows Turatura Road will just pop up to number 172 Turatura. Anybody that doesn't know it, have a look on your maps and you'll find it. It's just uh, off Glover Road there. Uh, we're heading in a northerly direction. It's only, well, what would it be? Oh, one or two k's up the road. It's not far. It's very close to and handy to Hawara. Uh, it'll be on the 4th or 5th, like you were saying, of March. And there'll be all sorts of stuff there, not just vintage stuff, but army displays and 
know, showing their wares. They come with all the bells and whistles, as people that have seen them all know. Uh, yeah, they're good family day, uh, all the fun of the fair. A lot of craft stalls and that type of thing, if we haven't told you about them already. Yeah. Oh, well, might cause for your time today and let's forward, look forward to uh, having a fabulous weather for this two-day event yep well that's it folks for another week remember the fossil fuel extravaganza on the 4th of 5th of March and I'll be back next week with more interesting news ka kitty and all this show was made at Access Radio Taranaki with help from New Zealand on air To find more local content, go to our website, accessradiotaranaki.com.